The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. Well, I'm not Pastor Derek. I'm Pastor Keith. Pastor Derek is actually at Pastor Andy's church. If you guys were, have been here for any time, Pastor Andy was associate pastor here for a while and now a, a lead pastor at, up in uh, Manitowoc, and he's there sharing at his church this morning, so... I get to dive into 1 Timothy 3 with all of you. So if you would, just go ahead and open up your Bibles, or go on and open up your Bible app. You're on your phone, and uh, we're going to look at 1 Timothy 3 today. Now, if you haven't been here, um, we've, been looking at, we've been going through the book of 1 Timothy last few weeks, and uh, it's been a lot of fun to go through this book. I haven't really looked at 1 Timothy this much. Um, in a really long time, and so it's, it's been a lot of fun to study and look through 1 Timothy, and Pastor Stephen did a great job uh, the first week setting up this whole chapter, and then Pastor Derek again uh, last week uh, just continued that through chapter 2, but we're going to look at chapter 3 today, and uh, we want to just bring about some context to this. Remember, this is the church of Ephesus that Timothy is at, that Paul has sent him to, and um, he's gone there just to clean up this, this place. Uh, Ephesus was a very predominant uh, area, a predominant church. And what had happened was a lot of leaders had infiltrated the church and were teaching a lot of bad doctrine. And Paul had sent Timothy to, to Ephesus to kind of clean that up. And uh, Timothy was a young guy, but Paul had vested a lot of things into him. And uh, I believe at the very first of this, on, Tim, on uh, 1 Timothy 3, you kind of see Paul kind of recalling um, that conversation, that first meeting um, with Timothy that you can find in Acts 16. Uh, Acts 16, 1 verse, uh, verse 1 through 3, you can see where Paul uh, is introduced to Timothy. He had uh, traveled to Lystra and uh, had met Timothy's uh, mother and grandmother. And I had met Timothy there and I saw a man who was just seeking to know God more and seeking truth. And um, Paul took him under his wing and began to mentor him and disciple him. And so he's got a lot invested in Timothy. He has a lot of high trust in Timothy. And so we're going to go ahead and we're going to read through 1 Timothy 3. I'm going to go ahead and just read through it first. Um, like we always do, we read, we read scripture, um, we'll read through, but there's, and then we're going to come back and we're just going to pick things apart, okay? We're going to go line by line here, uh, here in just a second, we're going to pick some things apart. So 1 Timothy 3, uh, verse 1, the saying is trustworthy, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if anyone, for someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or... He may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well, uh, be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Verse 8. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy or dishonest gain. Uh, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. 
Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in a household of God, which is the truth, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and butyrus of the, of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the Spirit, vindicated by the Spirit, uh, seen, uh, I'm sorry, manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and then taken up in glory. All right. So if you, if you think back to two, you see all of the things that have gone on in Ephesus and all the bad doctoring and, and, and people being in positions that they weren't supposed to be in, they weren't qualified to be in. And Paul follows this up with these are the qualifications you should look at. And we want to start with verse 1 here. He says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. All right, what is an overseer? An overseer, in some of your translations, may say elder. Overseer, elder, people that are on uh, executive-type boards nowadays, we would say uh, that. Uh, we have boards here at our church. Um, people that are on boards, people that are on staff here would be kind of the, the terms today. Um, but he said, if someone aspires to the office of overseer, so if someone desires to be in that, if he desires, he desires a noble task, Aspire means to reach out for. So he's looking and saying, you know, this is someone that wants this. This is someone who is desiring this. And Paul is saying this is a good thing. This is a good thing. It's a good thing to have that hunger. He saw this in Timothy at a very young age. He saw Timothy had this hunger to want to be an overseer, to want to be in ministry and want to lead. It's a good thing. Now, he said we need to, he's also going to say later on we need to balance that. We always hear... Um, you know, are you called? Are you called? Something we always say here at, at Word of Grace. Are you called here? We need to balance that with calling. You know, I believe if, if God is leading you to aspire for a position, he's calling you to that position. It's something that you shouldn't fight against. It's something that I fought against for a long time. Uh, I, I felt that I was supposed to be in ministry, and I even aspired to be there, but was still going, but there's these other things that I would rather do also. Uh, and so trying to live those two lives, per se, um, was, is really, really hard. And then verse 2, he said, Therefore, an overseer must be, we're going to get into the qualifications. There's 15 of them here. And um, it says this, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Let's look at this above reproach. Um, it must be from, uh, above reproach from the body or the community. Uh, there should be no place for criticism. Now, this is... This is not a salvation thing, okay? Uh, so the thing is, is, it's not a salvation thing. So am I saying is, is there things in people's lives that would disqualify them for leadership, but does not disqualify them uh, for being saved? Yes, yes, there are things that would bring approach. And so the church has to go, well, listen, this is not a salvation thing, but there's some things in your life that you still need to work on. There's some things that you still need to, to polish out before we can allow you to be in leadership because 
Eternity matters, as Pastor Jake said last week. And the church needs to be moving forward. You don't need to be above reproach. You need to protect the church above all things. Well, what about a, a person before uh, conversion versus after conversion? Well, it's obvious to me that Paul couldn't pass this test before conversion. He's writing the letter. Think about it. He was a brawler. He was a fighter. He even killed Christians. So there has to be an allowance for grace with someone who has changed their life by the grace of Jesus' forgiveness. But still, with sadness, I'd say there at times, the church leadership has to say, listen, I'm sorry, but your lifestyle is not where it needs to be to be this overseer, to be in this leadership position. It puts us in a bad spot sometimes. We have to say that. Keep on here. Uh, it says the husband of one wife. Now we're going to, Spend just a little bit of time here. Uh, I, I believe this, says, this means a one-wife kind of man. Uh, now, I believe the, the root of what Paul is saying is the, the church should be led of men of high ethical standards. So does this disqualify a single man? I, I don't think so. I don't think this is what he's saying at all. Now, there are three arguments to what this one particular thing is, is saying, and I'm going to bring them all out, and they let them fall wherever they may. There's three arguments. First argument is, some say uh, it's dealing with polygamy. Um, some parts of the culture uh, was multiple wives among the Jews and the Romans. More Jews than the Romans had multiple wives. And so they, they believe this is, Paul saying this disqualifies you because you, you don't have just one wife. The other, says, the other argument is, uh, some say this refers to marriage the second time. So people who have been widowed and then, then remarried. Um, they shouldn't have been remarried. So this is this, what this dealing with is what this argument is. Now, number three, the, the last argument is someone who has been divorced. Now, there's a big argument uh, here because of the um, rampant divorce rate that was in Roman community at that time. And divorce gives handle for criticism. Now, going back, this is not a salvation issue. This is a... This is, not an impartable sin issue, but it gives handle for criticism. And anything that gives handle for criticism to a new church was a problem. It was a problem. We also got to know what the context of Ephesus was, what was going on there. So how does this apply to us today? Which of these is true? Well, I can only speak from what I see in Scripture and based on the personal experiences that I have, okay, I've had in life. Number one. I, I fall between number one and three on this. I believe polygamy is not acceptable leadership of the body of Christ. I also personally believe that three, that the third point has some validity as well because of the first part of two, above reproach. And divorce brings about reproach to the leader, especially when you are leading a church and your life is under a microscope. Now, I also said personal experience. I've seen people who were very qualified leaders, who their spouse maybe left them years ago, and this was not their fault. Um, but years had passed, they had remarried, had a great marriage for years uh, with their new spouse. Those people served on boards and groups, were group leaders, and they brought much good to the body of Christ. This is in my own personal life, I've seen this. Now, I've also seen church leadership die on this hill where they wouldn't let people serve anywhere and they hurt those people deeply. This is not good for the body of Christ. 
But we have to stay in the context here and realize what this position that he's talking about. He's talking about overseer, elder. Okay? So this is a person who would be maybe a, a lead pastor or a campus pastor um, in our today terms. Now, this is totally my opinion, and I, I can't say 100% what is uh, okay. Just know that this is what I see. This is how I see men. I just want to see men leading well. Uh, Women leading well. Couples fighting for marriage because Christ's church is built up when we are. As we see here, when people lead well, God makes room to expand and grow their leadership. Guys, this is so important. Our culture is walk out, take the easy road, don't fight. I see so many couples that, that walk in and want um, counseling. And you sit down with them and you go, well, what are you doing? Well, you just tell me what we need to do. No, no, what are, what are you doing? What are the things that are going on that you guys are, are coming together and going, we're going to make this happen. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to work through this together. You see, that's showing leadership, especially as a man. I'm going to speak to you men. That's showing leadership. Say, I'm not willing just to go, hey, I'm going to take the easy road out. I believe Paul's alluding to this right here. Say, I can't put you in leadership in the church and leading the church if you're not willing to lead your wife and your family. If you're not willing to do the hard things. Guess what? Church leadership is very hard. It's very hard to have multiple couples a week walk in and ask, what do I do? To have to stand up here and read through this. <laughs> it's hard. It's not always fun. When we were uh, driving here this morning, we, we always kind of pray with our kids uh, before school or when we're driving somewhere, kind of starting off our morning. And my wife said, asked my daughter, says, you want to pray for dad this morning? He's going to be teaching. And she was like, sure. She's like, dear God, just don't let my dad mess up. <laughs> I was like, thank you. Thank you for that. that yes, that's very humbling. Um, just, just reminding me of that out of the, the mouth of young children. That, you know, it, it's a hard thing to do, and the target on your back gets bigger. The higher you go in leadership, the target on your back gets bigger. So Paul's saying, listen, these are, the, these are going to be the, the standards, and they may seem hard, but there's a reason that they're hard. Because I don't want to see you fail. I don't want to see the church fail. I want to see great leadership. Let's keep going here. It says sober-minded. So therefore an overseer must be above reproach. Husband of one wife, sober-minded. This is not dealing with alcohol. It's saying people who um, can look at things with a well-balanced point of view, a sound mind. Cannot get upset about things when you don't like something. But go... No, you, you know, what if we look at it this way? Or, you know, what? I, I believe what you're saying could be true. And so as we were able to come to the board or lead the church in a way that um, is bringing about help, not upset about everything, but sober-minded, having a well-balanced perspective. It says also able to teach. Uh, not a drunkard. Uh, not violent, respectable, hospitable, hospitable. Now, there were, let me, let me bring some context here. There were a lot, uh, 
during that time, a lot of, not a lot of places for um, people who had needs to be housed during this time. So these leaders needed to be leaders that had a, an open house policy. Listen, I, I have an open home. I'm hospitable. I'm willing to help you where you're at. You know, you have people that come to you with needs and, and you're willing to open up your home and show through leadership, listen, we're here to help you. We're here to have that open arm. I believe it's, hospitality is so important for us as, a, as the church today. We need to greet well. We need to smile whenever we talk to each other because we're happy. We're happy to be here. We're not trying to put some front on. But we're genuinely excited to see each other. When we get to see each other once a week, we're the body of Christ. We should celebrate together. We should celebrate and worship together. We should be hospitable, taking care of each other. Taking care of each other because we're putting, we're preferring each other above one another. We hit on three here. Uh, it said, not a, not a drunkard. Now, this does not mean a total abstainer, okay? The Bible does not teach against total abstinence, but it rails against overindulgence because of the harm that comes with it. Now, how do I know it's not talking about total abstinence? Well, I mean, Paul tells Timothy later on, says, hey, actually, you should probably drink a, a glass of wine at night because you have stomach issues. Here's the thing, bodily harm, foolishness, anger, loss of self-control, all are things that can happen whenever you overindulge. But what, if you're a Christ follower, what does it say to the unbeliever about you and the body of Christ if you get drunk in front of them and act a fool? Know your audience. Know your temptations, your limitations. You bring about condemnation not only of yourself, but of the body of Christ. That, that guy's a Christian, and he's acting like that. It reminds you being a Christ follower is a lifestyle, not a religious once-a-week check-off-a-box. You are the body of Christ. You carry Christ with you wherever you go. This is not when you're here, okay? Word of grace is where you go. You're a Christian. You're a part of the body of Christ. This is just a local gathering of that body. Romans 14 speaks about what we do with our lives affects other Christians and non-Christians. There are times where you need to abstain from drinking because you don't want to cause someone else to slip who may be struggling with alcohol addiction. Or you may just be in a place where you have the opportunity to, to speak into an unbeliever's life and the, the beverage would derail that chance. My question is, is it worth it? Is a beverage worth it? Know your audience because eternity matters more than a beverage. This is what Paul is talking about here. Not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome. Not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Leadership can be seen in the home. It can be seen in the home. The way that your, the wife, your wife or your husband responds to you, the way that your children respond to you, shows your leadership. Shows your leadership. Now, does this 
negate single people. No, it doesn't. No, Paul is a, is a great representative of that. He was a single guy. But married people would be more of the norm here. This would be more of the norm. This is what they were, they were looking at during that time whenever he, he told Timothy to look at this. Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with the conceit and fall in the condemnation of the devil. What, what is this saying here? Let's look at the, the first part. The first part here. He must not be a recent convert. Well, if we look at Scripture, we look at, we, we see 1 Timothy here, and he's, he's talking about the offices here. We can also look at Titus, uh, Titus 1, and see these same things. But there's a little difference here. You see, Ephesus was an established church. The church that Titus was leading was a new church. So it was all new converts. So here's the difference. This is the difference between the two. Because Titus's was new. First Timothy. Timothy was walking into Ephesus as a, an established church. Now, the condemnation of the devil would be referring to pride, in my opinion. A person who is a, a, a new convert, you put them into leadership. They feel prideful. They think, look at what I've done. I'm on the stage. I'm in front of people. I'm speaking. Pride is very easy to creep up into that, that young leader. We can, uh, we can uh, see this in Isaiah 14, Ephesians, uh, Ezekiel 28. Um, young leaders being prideful and stumbling. So I, I believe this is what he's talking about here in 6. He must not be a, a recent convert who may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. We want to protect that person. Verse 7, moreover, we must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Well thought of by outsiders. Well thought of by outsiders. What is your boss saying about you? What's the, what does your employees say about you? What's your family say about you? What does the, the people that, that maybe are serving you at a restaurant say about you? Well thought of by outsiders. You carry Christ with you. He said, so that. I got to always remember when see so that. There's something coming after that. So that he may not fall into disgrace and into a snare of the devil. Again, another snare. They should be above reproach in the community. The higher you go in leadership, again I'll say, the more people you are leading, the larger the target gets on your back. If the devil can take out the leader, then many times, many people will fall with them. This is why it's so important to constantly be in prayer for leaders in the body of Christ and especially in this local body. I ask that you would pray for me. Pray for Pastor Derek. Pray for Pastor Stephen. Be in constant prayer for us. Remember us because we got a large target. We just walk around. It's like Target, you know, the big Target sign, walking around on our back. Satan's like, you know, I take them out. I take a few with them. I have to be aware of that. I have to be aware of that. The more people you're leading, the more it hurts if Satan can get a, a chance to take you out. So be aware of that. 
also need to be in prayer for our leaders, even of our, our country. Our local leadership. We're going we're gonna to change directions here, and we're going to go to an, another point here. We're talking about deacons. Now, we first part, we talked about overseers, talked about uh, an overseer, an elder, a, a bishop is what this would be referring to. This is, this is deacons. And really, when we're looking through these qualifications of deacons, um, in our local body, I believe this really looks at people who are community group leaders, people who are leading groups. And um, because the deacon, what they did is they, they handled a lot of the care during that day, handled a lot of the one-on-one care in smaller groups and was making sure that the care for the church was being taken care of. And so I really think community group leaders, you can put that on yourself that you're a, you're a deacon, basically. Um, so let's look at verse 8 here. Uh, deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy uh, for dishonest gain. Um, not double-tongued, not one that would say one thing and then go back and say the other to someone else. Uh, again, not addicted to much wine. I think we hit on that in the overseer or elder section. Uh, not greedy for dishonest gain, but an honorable person, okay? It's a person who is, I believe, is honorable. That if you ask, again, someone outside in the community, what is this person like? They're an honest person. And also, many times you see in Scripture, the deacons were actually people who were not a part of staff, but they were people who worked outside of the church. They, they, were, they were bosses. They, they uh, owned their own businesses. They, they worked um, in the, the fields as farmers. They did different things. Um, they were employed outside the church, and so these were not employers. So that was really the basis of where they could get these qualifications from. Number nine, they must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, mystery, what, is, what does mystery mean? You've got to understand, we see in part, we know in part, so there's some mystery about, about that, and you, you've got to be okay with not having all the answers. Our human minds can't understand everything, so we shouldn't be sitting around and debating. This is what a lot of the people were doing. They were they were debating the mysteries of God and trying to outdo each other. And this is where all this bad doctrine was coming into play. And Paul's saying, listen, you've got to understand there's some mystery to this. To the people at Ephesus, they were just trying to wrap their heads around a Jew and a Gentile worshiping together in the same place. They, this was still fresh. Christianity was fresh. They were like, he, he's in the same place sitting next to me? Like, I'm still trying to get my head wrapped around that. Are they qualified to be here? Is there qualified? And Paul's trying to break this, this stuff down. This only happens through Jesus, and, the, and they had to center themselves around that. This is why it says with a clear conscience, holding to the salvation truth with clearness of mind and without debt, holding to what Jesus had done, centering 
themselves around what Jesus had done. He had come to die for all people. It doesn't matter their background. It doesn't matter the things that they've done. It doesn't matter where they come from. This is the mystery of God that he would send his only son to die for each and every one of us. No one was above the other as far as that goes. And there are different qualities for you to be in different leadership positions. But this is not what it's talking about. He's saying there's a mystery to it. You need to understand. Listen, you're not going to understand all things because you don't see all things. You only understand in part. You can't wrap your head around this. What God has done for each of us. He also said, and, and let them also be tested first. Got to love this. Be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Tested. A time of waiting or serving uh, in different areas so that we can examine their life. Too many times churches put people in leadership roles without testing them. Too many times they put them in roles without testing them. It turns out bad. It turns out bad for the church. It hurts the church. Remember, we're in this to build up the church so that people everywhere feel accepted because of gr the great people that we are allowed to vet and put into leadership. That's why we, that's why we have different levels of our, our, our team walk, our team member volunteers. There's a reason we do that. We want to have a time of testing. There's, we always put testing in place because we want to see what you're about, who you're about. And if you're about your gain or if you're about the church's gain, Christ's gain, that's the only reason it's there. You've got to realize there are bad people in this world because they've allowed Satan to corrupt them. And they want to do harmful things. And they come as a wolf in sheep's clothing sometimes. It's our job to be able to look and go, during this time of testing, what do we see? What is their character? What are, what are, what are they about? There's a reason we have that. Because we want to protect the church. Christ's church. Verse 11. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Now, this, this wives here can refer to women helpers or deaconesses also, okay? I don't believe this is talking just about wives to the husband, but there are wives in leadership. We see in Scripture that there were deaconesses also that Paul had appointed. It could also mean wives of deacons or female leaders in the church, such as Phoebe, the deaconess, um, uh, mentioned in Romans 16.1. In either case, Paul expected the behavior of prominent women in the church to be just as responsible and blameless at that of a prominent man. He's saying, listen, right now we have women leaders in Ephesus in the church that are all about their, uh, their stature in society. They were very wealthy they dressed in robes that were provocative. And they, the church, because they had money, let them be in leadership roles. And he goes, listen, no, 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 no. You need to take them out of leadership roles because they're about themselves. This is the, what you should be looking at. These are the things you should be looking at. I have no problem with women being in some leadership roles. But the deal is, 
they should not be like this. And so that's what he's talking about here. 12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Again, Paul makes this statement, and it's, it's, it's a bit ambiguous. Can single people serve in this role? I believe so. Can a person with no children serve in this role? I believe so. Can a divorced person serve in this role? I believe so. But the answer is not clear because Paul didn't give us enough here to be definitive. I can only do my own interpretation here. Could it be that the, the Bible is filled with these kinds of statements to see how we will be towards people um, instead of being in a, dying into a debate? You know, the thing is, you look at Scripture, and Peter even says this about Paul. He's like, Paul writes sometimes he's a little confusing. Like, are you saying only a person who's married, only a person who has kids, only a person? I don't think so. I don't think so. I believe it's ambiguous. There, there is open thought to this. And the thing is, is I don't want to get wrapped up in debate. I just want to have the church move forward. I want to see people come to Christ. I want to see people have a relationship with Jesus and see the loving grace of Jesus just like I have. Come as you are. And as you grow in the church and as you grow in your leadership skills, I want to see you grow with the church. I love to see people who start out as just someone who is attending church and one day is in a leadership role. I love that. Someone did that for me one day. I was 16, year old, 16 years old. This red-headed, skinny guy with pimples all over his face walked in and they said, this is your new youth pastor. He's 18. He's two years older than me. And he goes, hey, man, do you know how to play guitar? I go, no. He hands me a guitar and says, here's a chord chart. Learn these. Come back next week. I go home and I learn these. And we start having a band, um, <clears throat> if you say that. And I was able to, to do ministry with this guy and watch him grow and him watch me grow. And we sharpen each other. Cool thing is, he's not got, he's still got red hair. You just can't see it anymore. Um, it's gone. But that was who Pastor Derek was for me years ago. I was 16. He was 18 when we met. We've been doing ministry together ever since. We've grown together. I love to see when people are able to grow up in the church and be used by God. All right, we're going to go 13 here. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith. I believe this means a, a good standing in the sight of others. Also, I believe that when we serve, we get to the heart of Jesus and our selfless service to others grows, grows us closer to Jesus himself. I hope to come to see you soon, Paul says. But I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a uterus of the faith. You know, he wasn't able to come. And, you know, and I'm glad because we get to have this letter today to, to show us, to give us a, a, an insight to what leadership in the church <clears throat> should look like. 
And it's for our benefit that he didn't come. It, shows, it says, you know, this is, this is how people should behave. And I, and I want to write this letter to you because I care. I care about the church. He said, you know, the church is a, is, is a pillar and a buterus of the, church, of the truth. This word buterus, what the heck does that mean? Uh, it means this. A, a source of defense or support. Christianity as a whole is what he's talking about. There's strength in numbers. A representative of the church as a whole. We are representatives of the church, the body of Christ. If you profess yourself as a Christian, that goes with you, that goes with you wherever you go, not just on Sunday morning. The deal is God has given us all talents. We're one body, but we have many parts. And if when we're bringing our best to the church, when we're bringing our best to the cause of Christ, the church moves forward. Jesus is edified because we're all coming and saying, use me, God. I live open-handed with, with my life. Use me. Use who you've created me to be. These are my strengths. These are my weaknesses. But this is who I am. This is who you've called me to be. This is who you've created to be. Use me. I believe when the members of the body are saying, use me, that the church is strong. The church is strong. What if these people up here this morning wouldn't have used their talents to lead us in worship? You got to hear one guy sitting up here going, uh, you know, been a little boring. But no, it was great. They were using their talents. We all get to use our talents, our, our talents of hospitality, our talents of teaching, our talents of care. All the different talents God has given us. God's given you some of just, just a heart of prayer. Be that. Be where God has called you to be and do what God has called you to do because the church grows and the church is edified when you do that. <coughs> then he ends with this, this hymn, this poem, and here in verse 16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed in the world, and taken up in glory. You see, he's talking about Jesus' coming, his death, and his resurrection. It says, the mystery of God, the secret of how we become godly, manifested in flesh, preexistence than being born into human flesh, Jesus' incarnation is the basis of our being right with God. Vindicated by the Spirit, Jesus' resurrection shown that the Holy Spirit's power is in Him in Romans 8.11. Seen by angels, seen by the angels. John 20, 11 and 10. The angels tell Mary Magdalene, Jesus is not dead, but He's risen. Proclaimed among the nations. People everywhere began to, to share about Jesus. This follows what Jesus told the disciples in Mark 16, 15, just before ascending. 
Go into all the world, preach the good news, the gospel to everyone. It's next time, believe, believe on in the world. You see this in Mark 16, 16. Anyone that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Taken up into glory, Jesus' ascension into heaven. Witnessed by the disciples in Mark 16, 19. So my question is today, what does all this mean for us? What does all this mean for our church today? Well, I believe number one, it means that we should care for the church. We should care for the church. We all have a part in caring for the church. How we conduct ourselves outside of these four walls is care for the church. If you say, I go to Word of Grace, be a great representative of Word of Grace. Be someone that people go, where do you say you go? What do you say you guys are doing? What are you a part of? Man, I want to be a part of that as well. I believe God's doing some amazing things here in our local body. And He's going to continue to do more as people invest themselves and are raised up into leadership. I see so much potential in so many people. I'm so excited for this season of life that we're in. As many of you step into leadership roles, we take great care for the church, the local church, and the capital C church that we're a part of. Number two, I believe we're to present opportunities to those who seek it. Present opportunities to those who seek it. If you seek to be in a leadership role, let someone know. If you want to grow, let someone know. Seek that out. Be willing to be invested in and to grow in your leadership, your understanding of what leadership looks like in the body of Christ. Number three, hold high standards for ourselves and others. Hold high standards for ourselves and for other people. We're not, we're not here to, to beat people down. If you're in a group and and you say, hey, I want to be held accountable for this thing because I'm struggling with this. And then you come back and you go, man, I failed. I didn't do this. And the person looks at you and goes, well, what are you going to do about that? Because that's what you said you didn't need to do. And you told us to hold you accountable for this. You shouldn't get upset with that person. They're saying that because they love you. <coughs> or if they see something in you and they go to call you out on it. It's not because they're trying to tear you down. It's because they love you. They're trying to build you up. They're trying to see you lead well. Number four. Above all, remember this. It's about Jesus and his church, not you. It's about Jesus and his church. It's not about us. I heard a saw a great sermon one time by, by uh, Francis Chan, and he had this big, long rope that stretched all over this building, and it was a big, long, white rope, and he had a piece of red duct tape on the end. And he said, this rope represents our eternal life. This red duct tape represents our life on earth. He said, we put so much emphasis on the red and we forget about all the rest. 
And that's what actually lies ahead of us. What you do right there in that moment, in, this red, in that red moment, affects eternity. The question is, what are you doing today? Do you have an eternal mindset? Are you waking up and saying, God, do with my life what you will. Use me today to be an influence into someone else, to lead well just through my life and the way I conduct myself. Father, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil today so that I'm not a stumbling block for someone else. Father, let me have a heart that's thankful for what you've given me. Let my mind be set on you. Because that's what it means for us today. I want to see us all growing. That's the, that's the heart of our staff. That's what we talk about all the time. How can we see people get connected? How can we see people grow? What can we do to help people grow? What can we do to help so-and-so meet so-and-so? Because I feel like they would just mesh well and they would, they would sharpen each other. Man, I see so much leadership potential in so-and-so. Yeah, me too. What are we going to do to help them grow? That's our conversation. Not because we're trying to get a bunch of people in here. It's because we want to see you lead well and maximize what God has given you. The opportunity that God has given you. Guess what? Every single day, every single moment is a God-breathed opportunity. Our time is the greatest exchange that we have. It's not money. It's our time. Make sure you're exchanging that well. Make sure you're using it well because eternity matters. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.